So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to. Uh, if you're using one of those Bibles back there, it's on page 918. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event, follow along uh, with that. And uh, uh, you can see scriptures and sermon notes and announcements, all that kind of thing. Um, uh, on that, we do have this series coming up called God Questions. Got about 20 or so this week. I want to encourage you to... Uh, f- Fill out that form, man. Send it to me. I uh, even got a physics question this week. Thank you, Michael Simlinger. I appreciate that. I'll be getting to you on your formula about the charge of something at the end of a little line or whatever the heck it was, okay? Here, here's, here's, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to pray, and then we'll, uh, then we'll get going, okay? Uh, Father, um, we're here, your people, and uh, we need to hear from you. And so um, it's, it's such a great story out in front of us this morning. Um, God, I'm asking that as, as this story unfolds, that you would unleash it on us. Um, it, it, I think in so many ways, I know for me, and I think so many of us, we need it to, to come over us, overpower us, overwhelm us, and we need to sit under the weight of it. So do that now for Jesus' sake and for the sake of his people and for the glory of his name and the expansion of his kingdom. And we ask that in his name. Everybody said amen and amen. We've got such good story here, Acts chapter 10. Um, There's no intro that would do it justice. Let's just start reading. You ready? Uh, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Okay, so here we've got Cornelius. He lives in Caesarea, which is up the coast from Joppa. That's where Peter was. We'll find Peter again there in just a second. Uh, it's up the coast from Joppa. Um, and he is, he's a Gentile, meaning he's not um, born into the people of God, but he's what's called a God-fearer. He's one of the people who observes uh, and, and, and seeks to understand who God is, based upon the revelation that God has given to humanity through the, the Jews and through the Old Testament. Everybody with me? Like, he's a good dude. He's one of the good guys. And, and um, he's just trying to figure out who God is and what he's like. All right? That, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, that's uh, middle of the afternoon, um, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. I, I know I point this out every time we come across this, but can we just do this one more time? I, I'm a, I'm a, like, I, I, I survived the 90s, the, the buildup of the Christian junk uh, stuff, like where they had, you know, little gizmos and widgets and things you put on your wall and that kind of thing. And it was all angels. Anybody else survive that thing with me? Yeah, you know, my angels and this pretty little thing. No, every time an angel shows up in the New Testament, people are scared to death, okay? So like if you go home and have an encounter with an angel, you're going to come back and you're, the fillings in your teeth will have fallen out. You will have been chattering so much. Like it's, it's a significant thing to encounter um, these servants of God called angels. Let's not be dismissive of this. It's important. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. 
And so when the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were how many kinds of animals? What's it say? All kinds of animals. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, um, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have not, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up uh, at once into heaven. So Peter has this vision, sheet comes down, all sorts of animals on there, um, animals, reptiles, birds, all of this stuff. Right? And being a good Jew, he knows that he's not supposed to eat certain things, but then he saw that there was a, a pig on there. For instance, he didn't know the goodness of bacon. And he's like, Lord, I've never eaten anything like that. Jesus thankfully says, Hey, we're rerouting the old Testament dietary laws in me. All of that is fulfilled. Uh, you don't have to worry about that anymore because what's going to mark, um, uh, what's going to mark followers of me is not going to be dietary laws or, or, or worship at a temple. What's going to mark followers of me, Jesus says, is the love that they have for one another and the world around them. Therefore, you get to eat bacon. And all of God's people said, amen. That's a lighter take on the theology here, but nonetheless. Uh, so there, there's some questions that just crept up on me and they just wouldn't let go. And so that's how I wanted to frame the sermon out this week. Um, the first question goes something like this. Is God at work? And what's the answer to that? Yes. Where is he at work? Everywhere. When is he at work? All the time. Uh, with whom is he at work? Everybody. Everybody. You've got Cornelius here, um, uh, who's a, a soldier um, in this kind of Roman cohort, in this Italian cohort, who's part of the occupying force of the land, and yet God is at work in Cornelius. Then you got Peter, the apostle, seeing the Lord Jesus after denying him, not going to have a perfect, uh, did not have a perfect track record before, will not have a per perfect track record after. You've got God at work in him. What is God doing though when he's at work? First and foremost, don't miss this. He is pursuing a people for relationship. Why did he go in hot pursuit of Cornelius, uh, dispatch an angel to make sure that he got spoken to? Why? Because God wanted Cornelius to know that when you crack open God's chest and listen to his heart so closely, what you hear is a heartbeat for relationship. Some of you grew up in situations and some of you grew up in settings where um, you thought God was after this or that or service or, or um, gifts or money or whatever it was. You thought God was after something other than that. Let me just put, you, put this on the table. It's way worse than that. He's after all of you. He is after a relationship with you because when you get into a relationship with God, he becomes your father and your king, and he's going to take over, if you will, all of you. He's going to come into your life and, and indwell you by his Holy Spirit, and then he's going to be shaping it and making you into uh, the image of Jesus. That's the good news is that he's not after some particular thing. He's after a relationship 
with you and with me. And that is the place where you will find joy in this world. Well, are you sure about that? Because I see lots of demands and stuff from God. I'm just put a couple of verses here before you. Um, this one uh, from Luke 19, verse 10. Uh, Jesus speaking, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus speaking. Okay, don't miss this. He is seeking after a people to, to grab them, to save them, and to bring them into a relationship with him so that they would spend eternity with him. Well, that's about heaven when they die. This is John 17, verse 3. Don't miss this. This is eternal life. That they may what? Not serve, not give to, not, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus was sent to the earth so that you and I would come to know God. That's, that's the whole point. There's, when it comes to God being at work, the heartbeat of his work, folks, is for a relationship with you and me, that you and I would be intimately connected to him. All the other stuff, service and prayer and Bible reading and giving, all of that other stuff, it comes along with it. Yes, that's absolutely true. But what beats in his heart is not performance from you and me. What beats in his heart is a relationship. Secondly, um, is God at work? Yes. What's he doing? He's pursuing a people for this relationship. He is also preparing a people for service in his kingdom. Oftentimes, um, in, in the book of Acts, we'll see this as, it, as the text unfolds over the next few months, um, we find that these people who were God-fearers like Cornelius, those who were seeking after God, became the kind of first members of the early Christian church. And why would God do that? Well, it, it makes good sense to me because they're already seeking, they're already developing character, they're already um, thinking about who God is and how they should live in light of that. And so God's bringing these people, he's preparing these people for service. And so he, he comes into their lives, reveals himself to them, they become be believers and followers of Jesus, and they begin to launch out and do the works that God has given them to do because they're already prepared for that. It's not like they've got to work a bunch up to it. Cornelius was already praying and fasting and giving alms and doing all the things that the early church was marked by. He's preparing a people for service. And lastly, he's also empowering his people for ministry. God not only speaks to Cornelius, who else does he speak to? Peter. He speaks to Peter. And because he's speaking to Peter, um, uh, what he's readying him for, as we'll see, is this uh, ministry that he's going to do with Cornelius. I point that out at this particular point to say this, that you and I, we, we are the normal way that God pursues his people and prepares them for service. So again, you crack open God's chest and listen to his heartbeat. It's for a relationship with his people. What is the way that that, that that news goes forth typically? An angel, a dream, a vision, that stuff can happen. What is the normal way? It's exactly right. It's us. It's you and it's me. It's you and I engaging in the ministry that God has given us to do. So we are the way that um, God typically does ministry. So the question comes down from me and you, something like this. So do we believe this? Do we believe that God is at work and then are we set to act like it's true? Like what would change in your week if that were the case? What would change in your 
attitude towards a particular people. Well, I didn't think those, God was at work in those people. I mean, those neighbors with the yippy dog, I'm not so sure God is at work in them. Or that guy at the office who steals all the coffee and doesn't bother making, I'm not sure he's at work in that person's life. If, if God really was at work everywhere and among everyone, what would change about your week? What would change about your attitude? What would change about your approach to people? Second question. Let's read a little bit and I'll come back to it. Uh, So we've got Peter here. He's had this vision, right? Verse 17 now. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. So again, sometimes God says something to us or we read something and we're trying to comprehend it and it just takes a while. Um, It just takes a while. That's okay. If you're in that spot, it's okay. He was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. It's not the dumbest thing ever to have good brothers go along with you anywhere you go. Verse 24, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. There's good humility there. Peter's been known to boast a time or two. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be humble. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's the title of the sermon today. No common person. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. Here's a question. This is the one, mainly, this just crawled up on me all week. I couldn't get past it. I ended up using this word. Um, What is taboo? What what is, when it comes to ministry and us being available and useful um, and being willing and God believing that God is at work, then what is taboo? Like what would be the hurdle that keeps me from engaging there? Would it be a situation like Peter? He says very explicitly, hey, listen, this is not normal. Like, you guys can come see me, but it's not normal for a Jew to go into somebody else's house because if a Jew goes into a Gentile's house, they then are ceremonially uncleaned, they got to go through all of this ritual and washing stuff, and their character becomes suspect, right? Is there a situation, a place you won't go, or people that you won't talk with? I am not talking about walking with wisdom or a sense of kind of appropriate fear, like... I mean, um, Romans 13 verse 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. So if you're a recovering alcoholic, I'm not sure you should be going out with the folks after work uh, to the bar. I just don't think that's wise, right? I, no, make no provision for the flesh. If, um, 
If you're a guy in here, I, I'm not sure meeting your uh, uh, buddies for lunch at Twin Peaks or where, I'm not sure that's a great idea. Why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not talking about walking wisdom. I'm talking about what is taboo. Well, how would I know? Um, something along the lines of um, out of bounds. Um, that person is out of bounds to me. Do you know the phrase beyond the pale? Anybody heard that phrase before? You know what it symbolizes when you had a fire there and you were sitting around and you would exclude somebody such that they would be outside of the light of that fire, beyond the pale. People approach this kind of thing that says, um, uh, hey, I, I think that person's sin will infect me in some way. Listen carefully, not affect me because other people's sins do affect me. I'm talking about infect me, like I'm going to somehow catch what they have. That, that's when I assign some kind of taboo nature um, to them. Um, so, well, I, but, I, but I'm a very open-minded person. Okay, let me ask you a couple of diagnostic questions, see if this helps. Um, what, what if the people, uh, how do you view the people who are politically different than you? It's a pretty charged environment right now, especially this past week with Supreme Court hearings and all this kind of stuff. How do you view the people who are politically different than you? Um, how about those that you think are closed-minded? How do you view them? Well, I'm a very open-minded person. That person over there, though, they've never had, I mean, like, locked down. And so what do you, have you done with them then? You've called them taboo. Is there a situation? Is there a place you wouldn't go or a people you would not be with? For Peter, he was willing to engage um, it, not only Cornelius, but also in Cornelius' house. That's, that's really, I think, crucial. Secondly, um, what is taboo? Maybe a situation, but also maybe a conversation. Peter picks this back up um, when he says, hey, stand up. I'm to a man. He, there's all these people gathered. And he says, look, uh, this is uh, verse 27. Um, uh, you, you know, excuse me, verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with um, or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. When did he show him that, somebody? When the vision came, right? This isn't just about food. And Peter's like, this is not just about food. <laughs> I'm getting it now. So he says in verse 29, so when I sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why did you send me? Why did you send for me? What do I have that you need? How can I speak into this situation? Uh, is there a conversation for you that is taboo? Anybody have this rule around your Thanksgiving table um, because of all of the people who will be there? No religion, no politics. Anybody have that? Okay. So, um, you know, that's one thing. I, I just wonder, like, sometimes does that expand to other parts of our lives? Oh, I'm not going to talk about it there. I don't want to talk about that. I know we're just sitting here, but man, I don't want to. Is there something, some conversation that's taboo? Number one, what, 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 is it because you don't feel confident about what you actually believe? If that's the case, listen, here's what I promise you. This book right here, it has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. You've heard me say that umpteen times. You may have to humble yourself. You may have to study you may have to look at somebody and go, eh, I don't know the answer to that, 
but I promised you I'll get back to you. Well, if you don't have an answer right now, listen, I don't say, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm saying I know somebody who does. So you may have to humble yourself and you may have to study, like you may have to um, uh, really work at it for a bit. But I promise you this, you're not going to find better answers than what the Bible provides. It has the best possible answers to the most important questions of your life. Well, I don't know how to deal with this. Well, good news, Jesus does. Well, I don't know how to deal with this in my marriage. Good news, Jesus does. Well, what about this with my kids? Jesus does, right? He knows that, well, it's my interior life, like the stuff that's rolling around in me, be it anger or, or, or desire or something that's kind of out of whack and mismanaged. Like Jesus has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. So if you're lacking confidence, just know this is the place to find it. You, you may consider a conversation taboo, not because you lack confidence, but because um, you have some sort of shame regarding your experience in this area. Um, As I said, Peter was not perfect, right? And afterwards, he was not perfect. Here, he responded absolutely rightly. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to look Peter dead in the face and go, you're a hypocrite and you're not living in step with the gospel. Well, that's an interesting conversation to have over dinner, isn't it? But, but because Peter struggled with this, like, how then do I identify myself as a Jew, but still keep, like, how do I, how do I continue to do this? And some of you have things going on in your life, um, ongoing, if you will, issues in, in, in your life, like Peter, where you can, you can just look at that situation and say, hey, I don't have my stuff together. Therefore, I probably shouldn't talk about this. So Thursday morning, my phone rings twice within 15 minutes. Pick up the first phone call. It's, it's our dear, dear friends. They were calling to check on one of our kids and, um, hey, heard it was a long night, blah, 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 call and check in. Like, we go through all of this, right? And then I say back, hey, how's your son doing? Uh, their son uh, has been struggling with a kind of black hole of anxiety. And it just gravitationally sucks their entire family into it with it. And here's what this mom said. Man, there are times when it's really, really, really hard. But I promise you, Trent, me and the husband and the son, all of us, we see God in the middle of this. And we're doing our best to keep our eyes up so that we can help others along the way too. Now, that's somebody who's absolutely in honesty and in authenticity willing to say, hey, my life is not perfect. Better than that. And some of the, for us, for us, this is so hard to admit sometimes. My kid is not perfect. But I'm trying to not only see God in the middle of that, I'm trying to keep my eyes up because I want to see other people whose lives are not perfect and who don't have their stuff together. I hang up that phone. I tell her, I'm like, hey, I just want you to know you're heroes to me. Like people who walk like that, who have all of that churning inside of them. And, and I mean, people like if your kid's not perfect, do you want to talk about this? And it's not like they walk around. Hey, my kid's really messed up. It's just that they look for opportunities to say, here is a moment where God may use us in light of the stuff that's going on to, to uh, speak into somebody else's life. Instead of hiding it, Instead of letting the shame kind of creep down on them, what do they do? They, exp- step out, they step out and they express it. 
They say, man, this is what's been happening in my life. Does this sound reasonable to you? Does this sound like what's going on in your life? People are like, yes. I tell them, you're heroes. Hang up that phone. I'm not kidding. Three minutes later, one of our guys, one of our church family calls. They've been walking through some stuff, health stuff and whatever. He said, hey, and this is, I wrote down a quote here. I'm so scared, but I just want to keep walking. Will you pray for me? He's been living this very publicly, and some of you may even get a sense of who I'm talking about, but he wants to say, hey, my life is not perfect, but I want to keep walking. Again, a kind of honesty, honesty and authenticity that goes with that, and I say, yes, I'll pray, but let's keep walking. Keep walking because you don't need to hide under this. I know it's affecting my wife and my kids, blah, 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 going through all of this, but I just want to keep walking. Amen to that. Let's keep walking. They don't, they, they don't need to hide behind it. Some of you have gone through stuff or maybe you're in the middle of stuff right now and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I think I'm probably identifying with that. Listen to me. Um, if you have gone through stuff or are going through stuff, you raise your hand and say, hey, my life's not perfect. You don't have to wave a banner to draw attention to yourself. That's what not, this is not what this is about. You raise your hand, though, and say, hey, my life's not perfect. Good news. Jesus is in the business of using imperfect people to do really incredible things. Like, if, if he wasn't in that business, who would qualify? Certainly none of us in this room. Not me. He's in the business of using imperfect people to do pretty incredible things. And so don't let the enemy kind of drown you in shame or, or drown you in this kind of reminder of this shameful experience. Let God begin to redeem that and, and use that to, to um, see things forward. It is okay. We have said this before. It is one of the sayings that marks our church. It really is okay as a church not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And one of the ways that we don't stay that way is to lift our eyes up and begin looking around. One of the ways that we don't stay that way is say, hey, I am scared to death, but I want to keep walking. God will use you if you let him. So uh, last question. Um, wh what will you say? What will you say? Like if, if you do get the opportunity, if God does open up a door, what will you say? Verse 34. I'm sorry, verse 30. Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, said, Cornelius, your prayer, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Question, what will you say in that moment? Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Here's the good news, folks. If nobody is outside, uh, or if nobody is out of bounds, then everybody needs the gospel. No matter what you think about who they are, about what they are, about their lifestyle choices or about their situation or about the skin color or whatever it may be, their religious past, whatever it is, if nobody is out of bounds, then everyone needs the gospel. Everybody. There is not a person that you know 
live next to, work with, play on a soccer team with. There is not a person that you know who doesn't need the gospel. Verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. This is one of my favorite verses in Acts, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. I love that. Um, uh, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? For God was with him. Amen. Let's go be those kind of people. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as his witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, uh, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. That's where we're stopping. If no one is out of bounds, then everybody needs to hear the gospel. I'm going to put this before you one more time. What would the gospel look like? Like coming off of your lips. What you're doing is you are telling who Jesus is and what he has done. We put it in these three R's before. Just put it to you one more time. Ready? He's on a rescue mission. You want to know how to share the gospel with somebody? Start with the rescue mission. What are you being rescued from? From sin, from this world, from the devil, from from the things that are at work against you. Rescue, R, that's number one. Secondly, resurrection. How did Jesus go about rescuing us? He died, and then what happened next? He came back from the dead. Rescue, resurrection. Thirdly, the response for you, me, and everybody else is to repent, R, repent. It's the verb on purpose because that's the part where we get to do something. We get to tell the story of his rescue. We get to tell the story of his resurrection. And then we look at somebody and say, and you need to turn. You need to turn from your sin and selfishness and move toward Jesus because he's waiting on you. His arms are wide open and he is ready to embrace you. Rescue, resurrection, repent. If you're here this morning and that's never been part of your story, you need to hear the story of a rescue. And you need to hear the story of a God who would not leave his rescuer in the grave but brought him back from the dead in power. And you need to hear this this call to repent, to turn away from your sins and to, to be embraced by him. And when you do, you will experience, as Peter said, the forgiveness of sins. That's what he says. To proclaim to everyone, verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You can walk out of this day forgiven and in, rela- in right relationship with God. So I'm going to pray and ask um, band to come back up. And as they uh, come back up and get ready to lead us, if you need to close your Bibles and put your notes down or whatever, just do that. And then let's, let's have a moment together.